Chapter 5 of Hester, A Story of Contemporary Life, Volume 3, by Margaret O. Oliphant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5, A Discovery. There was a dinner party that evening at the Grange. It was given on account of Ashton, now well known in Redborough, and Catherine Vernon had taken the trouble to go herself to beg Captain Morgan to be of the party, but the old man had refused steadily. "'I will have none of your fine company,' he said. "'No, no, you do enough for me here. "'When you come to see us it is always a pleasure, "'both to my old woman and me. "'But a dinner, no, I have not had on my evening coat "'this dozen of years. "'It's not likely it would be in the fashion now.' "'What does it matter about fashion? "'You shall come as you are if you would like that better,' Catherine said. "'But she did not mean it, "'and of that they were all perfectly aware.' It is to do honour to Roland. You are no longer so anxious to separate yourself from Roland as when he came here first, she said. The old man did not say anything, but his wife answered for him. We will not commit ourselves, Catherine. You know our way, but we think the boy does us credit. I think it might be that if we were left to ourselves, we might even do a little matchmaking for him, if we could. Are you come to that? said Catherine, but there was an echo of a sigh in her voice. That seems to me to mean a confession, that we are not enough for them any longer, but still that we will not give in. We will be enough for them in another way. Why should we be enough for them? We could not think that was possible, living far off as we do, and in a different way. No, but out of pure love, which is just as foolish as anything else. I am the wisest in this respect, for I know it will not do." "'And who is the lady?' Catherine asked with a smile. "'The next moment she saw very well who it was, "'for they did not make her any reply. "'Old Mrs. Morgan, folding her hands, said quietly, "'It will never answer.' "'And the captain, leaving the mantelpiece "'against which she had been leaning "'with his face fully presented to her questioning, "'went and sat down in his usual place near the window, "'which afforded no such facilities to a penetrating eye.' They did not mean to tell her, and she knew. She laughed to carry off the little annoyance with which this preference and prejudice, as she called it, always moved her, and said, You should exert yourself in his sister's favour. By all she tells me, she would not be ungrateful, in a way which communicated the annoyance she felt back again to her friends. We will not meddle with Emma, said old Mrs. Morgan. I am tempted to think sometimes that the blood gets thin in a race when it runs too long, like the last cup of my tea, which he says is just hot water. Not so, not so, said old Captain Morgan. You are growing a materialist in your old age. That is sometimes just the very essence and cream of all. In storybooks, when there are an old couple left, like you and me, the last child left with them to make them happy is a creature that is perfect. "'Oh, this is heresy indeed,' cried Catherine. "'I will not have you compare Emma to your last cup of tea. "'There is nobody I meet with so original, "'and is she to stay longer and have her chance? "'Or has she come to the height of her desires "'and persuaded the gentleman to speak? "'There is nothing I want so much to know.' "'But here Catherine became vaguely sensible of a sentiment "'which, according to their own account, "'had died out long ago in these old people.' They had declared themselves above prejudice in respect to their own flesh and blood. The captain, indeed, had thrown off all responsibility, 
and announced at Roland's first coming that he was not prepared to answer for him, and Emma had not been so congenial to them as Roland. Notwithstanding, when their grandchild was thus freely criticized, it galled them both. The old lady betrayed a little rising color of vexation and shame, and Captain Morgan got up again restlessly and went and stood against the window, shutting out half the light and turning his back, which was a very strong step, though but for a moment, upon his guest. "'She has not been brought up like other girls,' said Mrs. Morgan. "'Perhaps it was none of our duty. It is hard to say. We knew nothing of her. Poor little motherless thing, we might have brought her away with us.' "'But these are all questions that is little use going into now. "'Such as she is, she is a good girl in her way. "'When she is married, for she will be sure to marry, "'she will make a good, careful wife.' "'One would think I have been saying harm of Emma,' "'cried Catherine with some quickness, "'when the fact is I am one of those that like her most. "'She is the most piquant variety of her species. "'There is nobody that amuses me so much. "'She knows what she wants,' which so few do, and she means to have it. She is quite honest and straightforward. You do me injustice in this. There was nothing said in reply, and Catherine did not like the position. Perhaps the universal submission to which she was accustomed had spoiled her, though she was so sure of seeing through it. She got up to go away. I must do without you then, uncle, if I am not to have you, though I think it is a little hard upon me, and upon Roland, too. "'We are always here when you want us, Catherine. "'As much as is in us is always at your service. "'It is not much,' said the old man, "'hobbling after her to the door. "'But your fine house and your fine people "'are not in her way, nor in mine. "'And what should I do going back to the world "'and her in the armchair? "'You see yourself, that would never do.' "'It would delight her,' said Catherine, "'pausing at the door. "'You know that.' Fancy her keeping you by her because she is not able to go out too. It almost looks as if... But that is impossible. You did not understand a woman yet. The old captain laughed and shook his white head. Persuade yourself that, he said. Make yourself think that. That will chime in with the general opinion, Catherine. If I were an old man on the stage, I would say, There's no understanding women. If I don't understand her and all her ways, I'm a sillier old blockhead than you think. Then you know that what I say is true, that she would like you to come, that it would please her. Then it is she that is the silly old woman that does not understand her old man, Captain Morgan said. Catherine left them with the impression that they were in a mood beyond her comprehension. It was a fine, clear, almost warm day, and the roads dry and walking pleasant. She had come on foot, as was not very usual with her, and meant to walk home. She set out on her return, waving her hand to Mrs. Morgan, but in no very cheerful frame of mind. She had not been cheerful when she left home. Her mind misgave her, as it had not done before, for more years than she could count. What was the reason she could scarcely tell? Edward was not really less kind, less observant of her comfort. The change she saw in him was one indescribable— which no one else would have suspected, which in all probability existed in her imagination alone. Why should she suppose evils that had no existence? There was no one like him, no son so dutiful to his mother, no one so ready to make any sacrifice for the pleasure of his home. If his looks had been a little abstracted lately, 
If he had spent his time away from her, if his work in his own room, which she had made so comfortable for him, which she had been so anxious to assure him the exclusive proprietorship of, had increased of late, perhaps this was merely the natural course of events. Or if he had fallen in love, what then? Did the boy perhaps think that she would be jealous and stand in the way of his happiness? How little he knew! Provided only his choice was a right one, she would open her arms and her heart. She would be ready to do anything for their comfort. There was no sacrifice she would not gladly make. Notwithstanding that somewhat nonsensical mystical flourish of the old captain's about his understanding of his wife, Catherine believed, and with much show of truth, that men rarely understood women, and never knew how ready they were to arrange everything, to give up everything for the comfort and pleasure of those they loved. What a welcome she would herself give to Edward's wife, though he was trembling and putting off and afraid to tell her. What a reception that young woman should have! Provided always, but with Edward's good taste and good sense, how could he go wrong in such a choice? It was at this moment that a shuffling light step became audible, hurrying along the road, and a voice calling, "'Catherine, is it really Catherine?' followed by another step and another voice, with a fainter sound in the repetition, but also calling upon Catherine. Catherine Vernon paused and looked round, her face losing its gravity and brightening into its usual humorous look of half-contemptuous toleration. "'It is Catherine,' cried Miss Vernon Ridgeway. "'I told you so. Dear Catherine, isn't this long walk too much for you and on such a cold day?' "'Take my arm. Please take my arm. Oh, won't you come back to our little house and rest, and we'll send for the carriage? It is a long walk for us who are not used to luxury, and what must it be to you?' It was true that the Miss Vernon Ridgeways were under fifty, and Catherine was sixty-five, but she was far more vigorous than they were, and more capable of exercise. She turned round upon them smiling, but kept her arms close by her side and refused any support. "'I assure you,' she said, "'I am quite capable of walking. "'You know I have always been accustomed to exercise.' "'Ah, yes,' said the sisters. "'You were brought up sensibly, dear Catherine, "'not spoiled darlings as we were. "'We have never quite got over it, "'though we should have known better long ago "'if experience was all. "'No one can tell how we miss our carriage, "'and when we see you on foot "'who can command every ease, "'it quite wounds our feelings.' said Miss Martha, coming in at the end in a little provocation by herself. It is very kind of you, but it does not at all hurt my feelings. This is a fine day for a walk, and I hope you are enjoying yours, as I do, said Catherine with her laughing look. They both shook their heads. We do what we have to do, and I hope we don't complain. But I declare I feel hurt that you should have been at the heronry and not paid us a visit. I wish not to be jealous. You are no doubt talking things over with Mrs. John. I know nothing that there is to talk over with Mrs. John, said Catherine tartly. I was visiting my old uncle, which is a duty I never like to neglect. Oh, said one sister, and ah, said the other. Then they cried eagerly each to each. I knew it was a vile story. Of course we have been misinformed. What was there to be misinformed about, said Catherine? Then, as she looked from one to another, a sensation of coming trouble shot across her. "'And what?' she added with a smile, not so easy as the former one. 
am I supposed to have to say to Mrs. John? Oh, it was all an accident, of course, said Miss Matilda. But you might tell Catherine all the same. It is best that people should know, and then they know what steps to take, said Miss Martha. To be sure, Catherine would know what steps to take, Matilda added again. This may all be very amusing, said Catherine, but as I don't know the word of the puzzle, I don't see the joke, you know. One would think something had happened in which I was concerned. I am not sure if you would think anything had happened. Oh, yes, I am sure we thought so last night, cried the sisters one after another. You see, the least little thing looks important when you are going to bed, after eleven o'clock at night. What was this great event? said Catherine, with a certain sternness in her tone. There was a great flutter of nods and looks between the sisters. They came close to her, one on either side, and Miss Matilda, always the boldest, put a hand to Catherine's elbow by way of supporting her if support were needed. "'Dear Catherine, do turn back with us to our little place. It is close by, and we can give you an easy chair and a cup of tea. You will bear it better there than here.' "'Did you say bear it better?' "'Oh, uh, did I say it? Bear it, Martha? I am sure I don't know. I think I said hear it, Catherine. Oh, for heaven's sake, don't look so stern. Perhaps you will think nothing of it.' Catherine gave her foot a stamp upon the ground. She said, "'Tell me at once what you have got to tell,' in a voice which was almost threatening. They looked at each other again, and then Miss Matilda began. "'I don't want to get anyone into trouble, I am sure,' she said in a faltering but eager voice. It frightened us so. That was the thing. It frightened us about you. I said to Martha, Dear Catherine must be ill. Nothing less than that would bring him here at such an hour. You see, the voices roused us just as we were going to bed. Mrs. John's door was locked, for I had heard her do it. She always does it herself. And judging by her usual hours, she must have been in bed when we heard voices at the gate. Oh, I was not surprised at that. Sometimes it is old Captain Morgan himself, who I am sure, with every respect for him, ought not to be out of doors at such hours. Sometimes the young gentleman, the grandson, I don't remember his name, or it used to be Harry Vernon in his time. We all know that girl. We needn't say anything more on that subject. I merely remarked, there she is at the gate again, and Martha said, Oh, I said, fiddlesticks, she is at the ball. It must be one of the maids. I am so unsuspicious, said Miss Martha. And then we listened, as you may suppose. There was just a little corner of the window open. Of course, if it had been one of the maids, I should have thought it my duty. Catherine, you are getting quite tired. I freely confess, yes, of your story. What do I care for your maids and their lovers? You can settle these surely without me. Oh, if you will only wait a little. Very soon we could hear that it was, if you please, Miss Hester's voice, and she was inviting someone in. Oh, pressing him, almost forcing him. Shouldn't you say so, Martha? Like the woman in the Pilgrim's Progress. Yes, just like that kind of woman. Won't you come in just for a moment, just to rest a bit, said Martha, changing her voice into a sort of squeak of the most unseductive kind. And he resisted as long as he could, but she would take no denial. You can't expect a young man to say no if a girl puts herself at his feet like that. So he yielded at last, poor young fellow. We didn't blame him a bit, did we, Martha? Oh, no, not a bit. Poor young man was such a creature as that, laying herself out. 
"'And who was this whom you are so sorry for?' Catherine said, as if she did not know. She'd been rather glad of all the delays and longueur of the tale, and marched along through it, glad to make them out of breath, almost hoping to be at her own door before the crisis. But in this she did not succeed. She did not look at them even, but kept her eyes upon the path with steady indifference. "'Dear Catherine, but you won't blame him, poor young fellow.' "'It was your own Edward, that dear boy.' Prepared as she was, the name gave her a shock, as perhaps Miss Matilda, still holding her elbow, felt. But if so, it was only for a moment. "'Edward,' she said with a laugh. "'You mean Harry, I suppose. Edward was at home and busy, occupying himself in a very different sort of way.' At this the sisters interchanged glances again and shook their heads in unison. "'Ah, Catherine, that is just how you are deceived. "'We know Harry Vernon's voice very well. "'It was Edward.' "'Catherine turned upon them with a countenance perfectly cloudless, "'a laugh upon her lips. "'When I tell you,' she said, "'that he was in my own house. "'He could not, I think, be in two places at once. "'My house, his house, it is all the same. "'He was at home,' she added after a moment in a deeper tone. "'And with me.' "'Oh, with you!' the sisters broke off with sudden fright, not venturing to persevere. So sudden a check quenched Miss Matilda's lively genius altogether. It was her sister, the practical member, who added with a spasmodic gasp, "'Oh, of course, Catherine, if he was with you—' "'Yes, of course he was with me. He is only too attentive. I could wish he took a little more amusement. So your fine story is at an end, you see.' If it had been any one else, I might have thought it my duty to inquire into it, but as I can prove it not to be Edward, not that I see much harm in it if it had been Edward, she added, turning upon the accusers again. I am not fond of Hester Vernon, but she is his cousin, all the same. Oh, no harm! Oh, I never thought so! cried the gossips, alarmed and faltering. It was only just—it was merely— it frightened us, thinking that dear Catherine must be ill, or something happened. Did you think, then, that your dear Catherine, if she were ill, would send for Hester Vernon, as her prime favourite, I suppose, and the one that loved her best among all those who— Catherine paused. The native magnanimity in her, beneath all the pettiness which her laughing cynicism had taught her, would not insult even these— heartless women by a reminder in so many words of their dependence. It cost her all her strength to stand up erect before them and put off their assault. They had got at her heart, but they should never know it. She stood ample and serene between the two slim, shabby figures and smiled defiance. Never were tale-bearers more completely discomfited. They turned upon each other with mutual reproaches in the confusion of the moment. "'You need not have made such a fuss, Matilda. "'I told you, Martha, you oughtn't to be so confident about a voice.' "'Come,' said Catherine, "'we had better say nothing more about it. "'Evidently there has been a mistake. "'Hester, who ought to be more careful if she is to live at the Vernonry, "'must have another admirer, with whose voice you are not acquainted. "'But it is unwise to form conclusions on no better ground than the sound of a voice, "'and perhaps not very charitable or kind of you.' so much older than she is, to tell anything that is uncomfortable about that girl, who is no favourite of mine already, to me. Don't you think he would do better if you warned her, or her mother? 
Catherine's countenance was so calm, her eyes so commanding, that the Miss Vernon Ridgeways altogether defeated in their malicious intention, which was chiefly to wound herself, felt their knees tremble under them, and were genuinely awe-stricken for perhaps the first time in their lives. "'Oh, as for that, it was not Hester we were thinking of. It was you,' they faltered between them, "'that you might not allow, or be exposed.' Their words got incoherent and ran away to nothing, into breaks and frightened lapses. And when Catherine, opening her eyes still wider, said, "'For me! To warn me!' and laughed them to scorn, Matilda, who being the most forward, was at the same time the most sensitive, was so overcome by anger and alarm and mortification that she began to cry for sheer despite, and felt in her inmost heart that she hated the woman who could humiliate her so. "'You were kindly afraid that I should be tired a few minutes ago, and standing does tire me, though I like a walk,' Catherine said. "'I will say good-bye now. Perhaps you meant it kindly, and if so, I'll thank you, too.' "'All the more as it's a mistake, for that is the best of it,' she said with a laugh, waving her hand, and leaving them walked on homewards with her alert and energetic step. But it would have been balm to their feelings if they had been able to see how very little like laughter was her face when she had once turned her back upon them. There was nobody to observe her along that quiet road. The nursemaids with their children had all turned townwards some time ago, there was not a soul between her and the gate of the Grange. Catherine's face lengthened and darkened as if by a sudden effect of years. The sanguine life and confidence and force went out of it. She looked an old woman in that moment, as indeed she had a right to do, but did not, nature interposing for her aid. She said to herself that she would not think, would not ask herself what it meant, until she should get home and could feel the shelter of her own walls about her. She wanted shelter and privacy before she faced the fact which had been dimly shadowing before her, but never in this form. She was a very resolute woman, and had not come so far in life without having to confront and overcome many things that looked terrible enough at the first glance. But never since those early days, which were so far off that they were half forgotten, had she been called upon to face those troubles which sapped the strength out of heart and will. The disappointments and bitterness brought upon us by those we love. She had few of these sufferings for what seems the saddest reason that she had nobody to love. But it was not so sad as it appears. She had a number of people whom she loved well enough to be delighted by their prosperities and overcast by their troubles. She had all the advantages of affection without being so closely knit to any as to have its drawbacks too. But this easy position changed when she became, so to speak, the mother of Edward Vernon. It was not the doing of Providence, it was her own doing. She had taken it upon herself, and for years past she had said to herself that the boy had made her know, as she had never known before, what happiness was. But now here was, swinging round slowly, revealing itself to her in glimpses, the reverse of the medal, the other side of the picture. Was he deceiving her? She had taken up his defence boldly, not caring what she said, but she had believed what she heard all the same, and had known it to be true. Was this why he had not cared to see her, to bid her good-night, before he came out to have that meeting with Hester? Like a shop-girl and shop-boy, she said to herself, her lip quivering with passion, 
vexation, derision, all bound together by the pain that produced them at the gate? The commonplace character of the meeting, the look of petty intrigue in it, humbled her pride in her boy. If they had met at Allen's dance, or in any legitimate way, she thought it would not have mortified her so much. But like a lady's maid and a footman, like Jane the scullery girl and her young man, she laughed to herself at the thought, but the laugh was more painful than tears. By and by, however, Catherine came to take a little comfort out of the fact that Edward had not come to bid her good night. Not considering for a moment that any incident of all this might be accidental, though everything was so, she concluded that his heart had failed him, that he had felt himself incapable of the treachery of kissing her cheek in the usual tender way when about to do a thing which she knew would be so displeasing to her. When this occurred to Catherine, the whole aspect of the matter changed. Her features relaxed, her colour came back. This, no doubt, was how it had been. The girl had met him at Ellen's folly. How truly a folly had never been proved till now, and she was pretty and clever. Catherine was too proud to deny her her natural advantages, and men were fools, as was well known. The best of them, the wisest of them, where women were concerned. She had led him into some engagement, some light wager, perhaps, some defiance of what he would venture to do, and Edward had been silly enough to be led away. She did not want him to be too wise. If he was silly, it was no more than everybody else had been before him. But he, dear boy, true boy, having involved himself in a piece of folly, had shown that high respect to her, that he would rather let her suppose he had forgotten and neglected her, than come to her with the usual greeting, when he knew he was doing something which would seem treachery to Catherine. Thus she, who for the first moment had known no wish but that of pushing homeward and hiding her sudden downfall within her own house, where nobody could intrude upon her, had so triumphantly explained all that trouble away before she got home, that she entered the Grange radiant, with no sense of having a downfall to hide. The casuistry of love is more skilful than any device of philosophy. She explained everything to herself. She wondered that she had not read it in his face all evening. She felt that it had been there if she had only had eyes to see. A foolish talk carried a trifle too far. A bold girl. Not bad. No, not bad. That was not necessary, and Catherine would be just. Pleased to get a little triumph, when she could, over the other side. And a foolish promise not intended had drawn him, perhaps against his will. But this subtle demonstration, which no faculty less keen than that of love could have made, Catherine proved to her full satisfaction the fundamental truth in him which no little trumpery deceit, of a kind so innocent as this, could undermine. All this fine fabric was raised on the most insignificant foundation of fact. But what did that matter? It was enough, and if Catherine had been told that Edward's forgetfulness of the good night had been accidental, and that his meeting with Hester was accidental, and that no incident of the night had been planned beforehand, she would have simply and flatly denied the possibility. She knew better, and she preferred the matter as it stood. The dinner party was an insignificant affair to her after this. She did full justice to it, and to Roland Ashton, the chief guest, the man whom she delighted to honour, and for whose pleasure and profit the best people in Redborough were called together. 
He was already known to many of them, and it was Catherine's pleasure to make her relationship and interest in the young visitor clear. But her mind was eager to get through the commonplace courtesies of the evening, to come to the moment when Edward and she should meet alone. She could not pass her discovery over without note. She would tell him what she had heard and what she had divined. She would give him the tender warning which such an affection as hers had a right to offer. If it was more than a passing flirtation, which she did not believe, to beg him to reconsider it. If his heart should be touched, which heaven forbid, but the thought made her smile, it was so profoundly unlikely, to entreat him to reflect and see how little satisfaction could come to him from such intercourse. She went over and over again the interview that was to come, so often indeed that she exhausted it, and when the moment did come did not remember half of what she intended to say. It came, indeed, in a way entirely contrary to that she had imagined. After the party had dispersed, Edward took Roland into his room to smoke with him, which she ought to have recollected he was in the habit of doing, and then, what was more disappointing still, went out with him to accompany him part of the way. She was going downstairs to Edward's room that she might get these explanations off her mind without a moment's delay, and was taken entirely by surprise when she heard the door close, and two voices continuing outside. "'Has Mr. Edward gone out?' she asked with the trembling she could scarcely control of the butler when he came up to put out the lights. "'I was to say, ma'am, as he'd be back in half an hour,' said the man. Catherine sent her maid to bed and kept her particular lamp burning on her little table, waiting there in the dimness of the large deserted room, hearing every crackle and rustle of the night. It seemed to her far more than half an hour before she heard Edward's key in the door, but she was resolved not to be balked now. She had no idea, poor lady, that he thought her suspicious, inquisitive and watchful, making domiciliary visits in order to find him out in something, which was very far from Catherine's disposition. She went down accordingly to lose no time, and met him in the hall. He was astonished to see her, as was natural enough and she had an uneasy tremor upon her, which was natural too, but which looked like cold. He was full of apologies for having kept her up. If I had known you would have waited for me, Aunt Catherine. You did not say good night to me last night, Edward. I did not like that to happen two nights running. I will go up into your room, not to hurry you upstairs. I can't think how that happened, he said, following her into the cosy room with its red curtains and cheerful fire, and all the conveniences and prettiness she had accumulated for him there. I had been thinking hard, and my mind was full of balance sheets and figures. I entirely forgot I had not seen you. She turned round upon him, taking his arm between her hands, and looking with a tender smile into his face. No, my dear boy, I know better than that. You had a reason, which shows me how well I have divined you, and how true you are, Edward. I have been told where you went to last night. This startled him greatly for the moment. He looked at her with an alarmed expression, but seeing no anger in her face, said quickly, "'That was all quite accidental, Aunt Catherine. You don't think I went there on purpose, do you?' without shrinking at all from her eyes. "'Yes, Edward, I thought you did. Perhaps I was wrong. I thought there might have been some silly bargain, some promise made without thought, and that you felt a little treacherous—that is a harsh word—deceitful. That is worse, to me.' and would not come back and kiss me when you might be supposed to be going against me. I forgave you entirely, Edward, for that good thought. He was a little touched in spite of himself. 
You are very good, Aunt Catherine, far better to me than I deserve, but as a matter of fact, it was all purely accidental. I had been very busy and felt feverish and sleepless. I went out to have a turn in the moonlight. Chance took me that way. There was light in Mrs. John's window. They heard my steps and looked out in great surprise and asked me to come in. I could scarcely satisfy her, he said, with an embarrassed little laugh, that you were not ill and had not sent for her to nurse you. It was as good as a play, he went on, still laughing, followed in every word by her anxious eyes, to see poor Mrs. John's struggle between politeness and sleep. She was very sleepy, poor little woman, but dreadfully polite. You may suppose I was surprised enough to find myself there. Yes, she said, still holding him, still reading his face with her anxious eyes, but feeling the ground cut from under her feet. She was a little breathless with anxiety and excitement. I wonder that you did not tell me of it this morning. Dear Aunt Catherine, he said, pardon me, but you have a little prejudice, you know, against these people, and it was so entirely accidental. You might have thought, had I told you, that it had been done on purpose. Did I ever doubt what you said to me, Edward? No, he said, taking her hands in his tenderly, as she thought, and indeed the action was not without real tenderness, for his heart was touched. No, he said, smiling, but yet you would have had a little doubt, a little wonder whether it was really so. And it was really so, she said, looking into his face. Really? Really? No little shadow of a wish for a little provocation, a little talk? A little fun, if you like, Edward? Oh, no, I have no prejudice. I should know it was quite natural. And you mean that there was nothing at all, nothing of this... A mere accident? Nothing more? He kissed her cheek, and he laughed at her in a filial way. Didn't I tell you, Aunt Catherine? You believe me. Oh, yes, but then you ask me if really, really I am saying what is true? Really, really, as often as you like. It was accident and nothing more. This was how all the eloquent things which Catherine had prepared to say were never said. She went up to bed pleased and happy, yet not so pleased as if he had confessed her version of the story to be the true one. She did not doubt his word. Oh, no, no, but yet the other version looked more true to nature. She could have understood it better that way. End of chapter 5 Read by Anne Erickson, Toronto